Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this week's special episode, we'll be examining the M&A trends across the APAC region within the biopharma space. I'm joined by David Chen, who's a managing director at BFC Group, a China-based boutique investment banking firm. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Julian. Thanks for having me. So the biopharma and biotech sectors have been through a tough time recently. Can you explain what the sentiment's been like this year in the Asia-Pacific region, please? So before you know, I answer your question, let me give you a little bit of background. So for example, in 2021, we actually have a record year, both in the mainland market as well in the Hong Kong market. Just give you some numbers that we have about uh, 40 IPO in Shanghai and then 20 IPO in Hong Kong. And each of them, when they go public, they all, you know, valuations way above $1 billion. And, uh, and also, you know, the average raise, you know, around 150 to $200 million. So big IPO, big financing rates. And, you know, it's really, we are comparing those record year. We can see that the market definitely has cooled down. And I think, you know, the big sentiment here is that people feel it's hard to raise capital. But the one of the major challenges here is that the valuations still have not come, come down, especially on the primary market. On the public market now, you see the valuation has very major adjustment. But on the primary market here in Asia, especially in Great China, sometimes even more expensive than the public market. And that really, you know, makes many investors and even their OP have trouble in investing in this company. So I think, you know, biotech is still relatively young in Asia, especially in greater China. Entrepreneur investors, they all try to figure out a way to really invest and to build a company. And I think it's a healthy correction and for everyone come to a reasonable term so that they can all have decent return for both entrepreneur as well as for investor. And from our experience, you know, BSC as an investment banking firm, we still have closing financing one. We are all still closing, you know, cross-border transaction as well. And definitely we see more M&As uh, this year. Thank you. And so looking at some of the trends, including Healthy China 2030, which is the government policy to put health at the heart of all government decision making, can you talk through which subsectors will benefit from those trends and remain on track for solid growth during the coming years, please? So, yeah, I think, you know, healthcare is always, you know, critical to every major economy, including China. And governments certainly want to support a more broader, you know, reimbursement policy and more broader coverage, uh, you know, to a citizen. Uh, I think as a result, the government has initially you know, lost the broader tendering, you know, policy and pushing all the generic as well as some of the generic device company into the tendering process, lower the costs, you know, quite a bit. And I think, you know, in many ways, you know, it also impacts innovation. You know, it also cut the reimbursement for innovative product. So I think overall, we do see, you know, a still very healthy growth. Uh, the, you know, we may not have a double digit like growth on the GDP side, but by talking to many of the multinational as well as the local major player with commercial infrastructure, they are all very positive. They feel that, you know, going forward, they still see 
uh, a very robust growth, much higher than the GDP. I think you know what's really challenging is for you know newly biotech and who actually try to build their presence in you know in in, in Greater China. That's going to be a tough. You know, many cases we understand that as an entrepreneur or the investor, we under underestimate the cost of building a sales infrastructure. And I think you know. In general, we are optimistic that if you are innovative, if your product meets unmet medical needs, you should be okay here. It's what's really impacting, you know, it's the generic, those without IPs, and those actually, you know, are in a very crowded area, those probably will be impacted majorly, and it will be hard to get funding as well. David, could you talk through some of the recent deals that you've worked on, please? And then tell us if you've seen any interesting trends emerging through those deals. So maybe I'll give you three key areas, uh, you know, the deal trend. First of all, uh, we noticed that you know, all the biotech company or, you know, medtech company mainly based, you know, in Asia or in greater China, they are looking for global partnership. And that's because of reimbursement cut. And uh, they have to go globally so that they can recoup some R&D costs, but also can access much bigger global market. That's number one trend. Uh, number two trend is we see that, you know, both investor and entrepreneur have been very selective in terms of developing certain drugs. And for example, uh, one of the most, you know, uh, big drug in oncology is called PD-1. And uh, before, you know, uh, uh, you know, we have actually seen that, uh, you know, so many companies jumping into this area, developing a Me Too version PD-1. And uh, we see that probably more than 50 companies are doing that. As a result, as a reimbursement rate has been cut really, really poorly, you know, in, in, in this lo- local market. And very few people can make money. So that lesson has been learned. And the third trend we've seen is that, you know, people are really realizing consumers are willing to pay. So medical aesthetic and directly to consumer, that's another trend, you know, we are seeing that's developing very quickly here in China. And could you just outline what, the, what medical aesthetic is? So, for example, uh, we actually, uh, you know, did a deal with a public company called uh, China Medical System CMS. Uh, they actually acquired a company called Luqua, and basically in the, it's in the medical aesthetic area. Basically, like uh, Botox, you know, derm filler, all other devices can make people more slim, uh, looks more better. And uh, uh, mostly, you know, there's no reimbursement. Consumer has to pay directly. But we are seeing that, you know, a bigger trend, especially the younger you know, patient population, like uh, people at 20s or at 30s, they are willing to pay out of their own pocket and, you know, you know, uh, and try to uh, take in different procedures and make them look more, you know, better and more, more, uh, more healthier. Yeah, and it's certainly something we see a lot more of here in the UK and the, uh, the Western world. So, David, China has seen an increase in the number of biopharma companies looking to downsize or divest assets recently. Do you think this is something you'll continue seeing? And if so, what's the driver behind that? Yeah, we actually have seen that, you know, because in 2020-21, we see a huge investment into the biopharma area or in the medtech area. 
And some company have built, you know, they all try to be vertically integrated, you know, from R&D to manufacturing to actual sales marketing. And, you know, in many cases, we have seen that company does not want to do this anymore. They feel it's not, you know, it doesn't have the economy scale. So we see many players, they actually want to spin off the manufacturing, also the manufacturing, like a large scale uh, uh, biologic manufacturing facility to a third party to CDMO. And we also have seen that, you know, many of the international small to medium-sized generic company or, or, you know, mostly traditional kind of a product company, they are thinking about divesting those assets as well because it's no longer more, you know, competitive. And that, I think, overall, it's a healthy trend. You know, company need to be more competitive, need to be more cost-efficient. Cost and that's that's something we we will probably still continue to see over the next two to three years as well. And looking at cross border deal making, there's been lots going on in recent months in China, specifically in the biopharma space. Can you tell us more about the appetite for cross border biopharma deals, please? Yeah, and that is something we see a very very robust trend. For example, uh, you know the top ten global licensing deal globally in the first half of 2023, uh, the top 10 year. Among those top 10 year, four actually are coming out of China. I can give you an example. For example, uh, recently, Hutchinson Met Farmer out of Shanghai did a deal with Takeda, and uh, they, for a small molecule oncology drug, uh, they actually got to pay more than $400 million upfront payment. And uh, another deal recently is that CBMG, uh, actually, a CAR-T company out of Shanghai did a deal with JNJ, and JNJ actually paid $245 million upfront to CBMG. And another deal is, uh, you know, Germany BioNTech did a deal with a Shanghai-based uh, uh, ADC company called Duality. And BioNTech actually in licensed two molecules, the ADC molecule from Duality. They paid, I believe, over $170 million upfront. So we see that, you know, as this is a part of the trend as Chinese biotech, uh, you know, become more mature, but they're also more ambitious in terms of developing the, the asset outside of China, Chinese territory. And they are willing to do a licensing deal with a global partner. And that's the big trend, you know, since the last, you know, 12 months, we see almost every week this deal uh, develop and strike between, you know, uh, biotech or biopharma company in China with the global players outside of China. Great. Thank you. And can we look now at the challenges that your clients are facing? What are those challenges? How do you help them to navigate those challenges? And how much of a concern is the geopolitical situation? First of all, let me talk a little bit about geopolitical I think we do not see a direct geopolitical inference, for example, uh, in, in terms of, you know, developing deal between the Chinese farmer and major, you know, Western players. What we have seen the impact is that due to the geopolitical in inference, uh, many, many, for example, U.S. dollar fund, either in the VC fund or the PE funds or in the public funds, they are all putting a pause, you know, on investing in some of the Chinese-related assets, either in Hong Kong or the U.S. And as a result, you know, uh, the funding has has been, you know, has has been reduced, you know, by VCPE, especially U.S. dollar fund has been reduced quite a bit. And you know, some I would say it's because geopolitical reasons. Some is because you know, uh, you know, tough return, and many of the fund actually putting on a hold. 
I think that's where we see the major influence. Um, I think, you know, overall, I think as uh, the Chinese biotech, which is very, very young, they really just have to adjust to the market. Now, overall, the biggest challenge is that we have, you know, a close to 1.5 billion population. They all need to affordable healthcare. And how do you develop, you know, healthcare or medication or medtech solution that can meet the local demand, you know, but also make it more affordable? That's, I think, the ultimate challenge everyone needs to figure out. As you know, the cost of developing medicines is HR cost, the clinical development cost, all going up. But in the meantime, you know, we all try to make sure the medication or the new uh, innovation can be affordable. So that's one of the biggest challenges that it's a long term, it's not going to go away. We're going to just have to figure out a you know, way to do it. And the other one is, you know, as people realize that, you know, no innovation can rely on a single market, especially the China market, even though it's the second largest market, but still, you really have to go global and to, in order to recoup your overall ID cost. How are you going to do that? You know, what strategy are you going to go forward? And that's another major challenge I think, you know, the biotech here in Asia have to deal with. And looking ahead, what are the next challenges that your clients should expect? I think, you know, overall, as the, you know, biopharma or biotech may become more mature, they used to do one thing, for example, R&D really good. Uh, they used to do maybe commercialization really good. But now, you know, in order to really grow the market, invest, expect them to be much more, you know, kind of a more like become a fully integrated company. And that's one of the challenges that many of the companies here have to face that how do you become a fully integrated company either in the local greater China market and even much more challenging for the global market. And many of them actually are going through some growing pain here right, right now. Great, David. Good to talk. Thanks very much. That was David Chen, Managing Director at BFC Group. Thanks for listening to this week's special episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market News Alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week.